Welcome back to the podcast. And today's topic is all about twice exceptional or 2E. So if you've heard of this and you feel like you don't have a lot of information about it, that's exactly what we are going to be diving into today. And I say we because I have Dr. Nicole Michaeli here. She is a pediatric psychologist specializing in comprehensive evaluations for children, teens, and young adults. Nicole, welcome. I'm so excited we can have this conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Taylor. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm so excited to dive into this topic. Yeah, so well needed. Welcome to a parenting space actually designed for you, where you can get answers about navigating a life that includes autism. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental coach specializing in neurodivergent affirming care. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. And I know firsthand the impact autism can have. I was 12 years old when my little brother was diagnosed and my family had to learn how to navigate the autism journey. It wasn't always easy. Two decades later, I now create resources and services I wish my family had, including this podcast. And I developed the whole family approach. On this podcast, of course, we will talk about autism, but we will also talk about your personal growth and well being as a parent, supporting your non autistic children, and sharing personal stories of other families so you know you're not alone. Quick disclaimer before we jump into today's episode. Anything shared on this podcast should not be considered clinical advice, and you should consult with your team of medical, mental health, and developmental providers if you need support. So tell us first, before we, you know, start talking about Twice Exceptional, tell us a little bit about you and how you became a pediatric psychologist. Sure, yeah. So I'm a licensed psychologist. My background, my passion is in assessments. I specialize in really comprehensive psychoeducational assessments for different learning disorders, neurodevelopmental issues, mood disorders. And I also have, I'm, I have a dual training, so I'm also trained as a therapist and in child development. So this allows allows the lens not just to dive into the learning problems and the neurodevelopmental challenges that kids have, but also their social and emotional world and understand that piece and bring that to the assessment. So I think it, it enables a really well-rounded way to evaluate kids and understand where they're at. Absolutely. And I know we have similar passions, which is how we initially connected through Instagram. But I will say you're really doing these in-depth comprehensive evaluations to make sure we understand every single angle and how this child's brain works. And so commonly you're coming across these twice exceptional kids or 2E. For, For the listeners, let's talk about what is this and yeah, what does it look like? Sure, yeah. So 2E is, or twice exceptional, is a term that refers to kids who are both gifted in one or more areas and also have some sort of diagnosed learning or developmental disorder. So this can be autism, it can be a learning disability, it can be ADHD, or another learning or processing problem. And so there's a lot to unpack here. So I want to first understand what it means to be gifted. So giftedness is when kids have exceptional abilities in one or more areas and they have these special talents or gifts that enable them to perform much higher than their peers usually this is associated with high iq but it doesn't have to be high iq it can be creativity leadership skills musical interests or artistic abilities or really high academic abilities or knowledge of an academic area so 
2E, going back to 2E, this is when you have a gifted individual who also has a coexisting learning or neurodevelopmental problem. As I said, we commonly see autism, learning disabilities, ADHD, but it can also be a range of other problems. Yeah. Awesome. And just for people listening, you already said this about gifted, that a lot of times it's linked to IQ. Do you find consistency? A lot of times we hear like a 130 IQ, but do you find consistency in terms of either one, clinically how you're defining twice exceptional, but also how the school district is defining twice exceptional and gifted? That's a great question. And the, I think part of the reason this is an elusive topic is because people do have definitions of what they consider to be gifted. So I have schools who specialty gifted schools that cater to these types of children who really want to see IQ scores that are like 138 and above, which means that they're highly gifted. Wow. School districts can have a little bit of a lower standard, especially if you're dealing with a public school district, they might have a different definition. So part of the, like I said, the the challenge with understanding and identifying this population is that there is no established definition of giftedness and 2E. And so it really depends on the institution or the school district that you're working with. That makes sense. Yeah. And so it's really interesting to think about in the lens largely of autism, since this is a podcast for parents of autistic children, about how their child can develop to be at an advanced level in some areas, like academically or creatively or intellectual functioning, but then still have some challenges and support needs with regard to like social interaction and communication. So I know we talked about this idea of asynchronous development. Mm-hmm. What exactly is that? And how does that too come into play when we're thinking about 2E kids? Absolutely. So asynchronous development is one of the hallmarks of kids with 2E. And what it refers to is development that's uneven or out of sync. And so you see these kids that have this inconsistent rate of development across different areas, whether it's their intellectual abilities, their social abilities, emotionally. And so you have kids like one child that can present as being in different ages in different areas of functioning all at one time. The best way to picture this, the way I like to explain it, is if you think of like a graph with dots like a scatter plot. Most people fall somewhere in the middle with regard to their cognitive abilities, their academic abilities, their social skills. They're sort of clustered around the middle. Maybe some are a little higher, maybe some are a little lower. When you have asynchronous development, you see a lot of peaks and valleys. And so you have these kids that are really high in some areas and then much lower than their peers in other areas. And we can see this, as I said, in different areas of functioning. For example, I recently had a child who was 2E, had really advanced language skills, much higher than her grade level. It was a second grader, and she was thinking like someone in middle school and able to comprehend concepts at a much higher level than her age, but she struggled with reading and had dyslexia. So that's an example of how 2E, that asynchrony or that unevenness can manifest in a child. Or they might have really highly advanced abilities in math and science, but then they struggle with social interactions because of the autism diagnosis. 
Yeah. I think about like that, the social, emotional, like functioning, right? And Mm -hmm. whether that's they're having more difficulties or sometimes the gift itself, like you're talking about with this second grader who's so advanced in her language, sometimes then it becomes difficult to relate relate to peers. And I see this a lot in Mm -hmm. autistic kiddos that I'm working with where it makes it difficult to find those common interests and to know how to engage with peers, but they might not be at the same level. So talk a little bit more about how being 2E might impact this social emotional profile. Yeah. So this is one of the things that's so important when it comes to 2E. It becomes difficult to be able to tease apart what is related to the giftedness or the Mm -hmm. the talents that these kids have, and then what is linked to their challenges. And in cases with autism, there's a lot of overlap between characteristic or characteristics or features of giftedness and features of autism and so for example kids with autism um, have really restricted and intense interests right they really hyper fixate on a specific topic and they tend to know everything about that topic this could potentially go unnoticed or unidentified as an autism indicator because also gifted kids have a lot of knowledge in certain areas And Mm -hmm. so that's, again, pointing to the overlap and that becomes the risk of these kids going unnoticed and maybe only the giftedness being identified, not the autism piece. Another example, gifted kids do tend to struggle socially, like you mentioned, and because there's this gap between them and their peers in terms of their abilities, but also autistic kids, that's one of the hallmarks of autism is where they struggle with the relating to kids. And again, that could, is at risk at being explained away by, oh, they're gifted and they're struggling socially. So that's where I think an assessment becomes so important in being able to tease these nuances apart and being able to explain when there's one or another, or if it's a situation where they're coexisting at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not that all gifted kids are twice exceptional, but I think having that comprehensive evaluation really can help to make sure we're understanding the full picture of how their brain is working. Real quick, I wanted I want to go into neurodiversity because mm-hmm. it feels so on topic right now. But mm-hmm. before we do, this idea of hyperlexia. So like you're talking about this example. I recently had a a preschooler who literally could name every single country in the world and identify it on a map and tell me facts about it, like things I honestly don't know. And so obviously in doing the autism assessment, we talked about how that is a in a strong interest. It's a passion of his or in terms of diagnostic criteria, an intense interest. And also then he similarly had this like love of numbers and he was reading at four years old. Touch real quick on hyperlexia and parents probably, many parents might not know what that is and Mm -hmm. how often are you coming across that? Yeah, that is something that is typically seen. So hyperlexia is one of those unique traits that we see oftentimes in kids with autism. Again, because they have these profound and intense interests, 
they tend to devote so much of their effort and energy into knowing all these facts or reading about certain topics. I recently had a child who was had this really intense interest in football, and he knew every single college and professional football team, the scores, their names, the player names, and that interest can really lead to them really being able to delve in and have really intense interest in that area. So we see that a lot with kids with autism. And that makes sense as we're talking it out loud here too, because we know the large majority, I just had a podcast episode actually that aired last week by the time people are listening to this Uh that was on gestalt language processing and how the majority of autistic kids learn language is they almost have these like episodic memories where they can hear language and remember it. And so that often goes hand in hand, Mm -hmm. I feel like with hyperlexia as well. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, just connecting the dots as we we talk about this here. So many interesting facets to these yeah. kids. Yeah. Totally. I had one other thought for you to comment on talking mm-hmm. about this idea of asynchronous development. So I find a lot, it, it definitely comes up that sometimes even in an IQ test, there can be a lot of differentiation. Maybe verbal abilities are better developed than nonverbal abilities. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we think of that as like a split in IQ. How often, given your this is your area of specialty. Are you mm-hmm. seeing even variabilities within the domains? Yeah. So something that some people may not know is when you look at IQ, it's not just one overall score that tells you a child's intellectual abilities. IQ, especially when we look at kids IQ, we're looking at um, five different areas. And some of these areas are language-based. So we're understanding what is their sort of the fund of information that they know and the knowledge that they have verbally. We're looking at nonverbal skills. So how do they problem solve with information that is abstract and nonverbal? So this is things like patterns and puzzles and how well can they solve those novel or new problems? And then we look at other areas like um, how efficient are they when they're processing information? So processing speed and working memory is how well can we keep information in our brain just momentarily and use it to complete some sort of task like remembering sequences of numbers or doing mental math. And what we see a lot of the times with 2E kids is because of their neurodevelopmental difficulties, they tend to have a split between their abilities where that cognitive efficiency, that processing speed and the working memory areas are sometimes lower. They're more impacted by that disability than the abilities that are based on verbal and nonverbal reasoning or knowledge and information that they know. And so we sort of see the split. That's one of the indicators that something is going on when we have processing speed and working memory issues, especially in the IQ testing. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's actually pivot. On this podcast, I talk about neurodiversity all the time. It's a hallmark of this podcast. So let's talk about how this idea of 2E folds into neurodiversity. It feels like it goes hand in hand, but I'd love for you to talk about that. Sure. Neurodiversity, it, it reminds me of when I think of neurodiversity is fingerprints because no two fingerprints are alike. 
right? And so just like no two fingerprints are alike, no two brains are alike. And the human brain is so vast. We have billions of neurons that are, in, you know, that are connected in these intricate networks. And what that means is that every brain essentially is wired differently. And even when you look at a neurodevelopmental issue like autism, each child with autism or each young adult with autism is truly different and different in the way that they show their symptoms and hence the name spectrum. This is really a spectrum of kids that can manifest in so many different ways. Research in this area is constantly evolving, um, but what we've seen is that there are brain differences at a neurological level, and we see this through brain imaging studies, where we see unique patterns of um, brain activity and brain structure that's associated with 2E kids. And this is actually different than the brain structure of, say, a child that just has autism. Wow. Or, yeah, or a child who just is gifted. So it's, they have their own unique pattern, brain pattern, and it's been referred to as a neural signature, so to speak, because we can we're able to differentiate it from other kids. So this says so much about just the future of the research and what we're able to tell in the future with this population. Yeah. I think it's so cool. Neurodiversity, there's so many individual differences. So on the individual level, that doesn't surprise me, but it's really cool the way for those listening research studies are done is it's usually an average of a group of kids. And to know that these like neural signatures are different for 2E kids compared to like autistic kids compared to gifted kids, that is so neat. And like the way of the future, we're definitely not there yet. So if you ever have someone tell you, I can tell by your brain scan if you're 2E or you're autistic, we're not there. But wouldn't it be cool one day if we were there? And I think it's a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I I definitely want to make sure too, we talk about the support side, but before we do that, I'd be curious talking some of the challenges about identifying 2E kids, how often they're going under the radar too. So if you could comment on that. So in the case with kids who are 2E, what we find a lot of the times is that they're often overlooked because their strengths end up masking their challenges and vice versa. And why does this happen? It's because the brain is really adaptable. It has a lot of plasticity. And that means that when someone experiences challenges, other areas in the brain might jump in to compensate for those weaknesses. So when you have a child who's 2E, they do have the same signs and symptoms as someone that has a learning disability or ADHD or autism, but they often don't show it in the same way when they're 2E. And again, this goes back to the masking because they're able to compensate for their challenges. So we don't see those red flags as easily in this group of people. One of the things, another thing that we see is that their challenges oftentimes overshadow their giftedness and they may be perceived as being just average when they actually have this really high potential and that they end up risking being overlooked. Yeah. I think it it makes sense too. It goes in both directions. Mm -hmm. Depending, it's basically sometimes what's identified first. And what's interesting, we actually talked about a similar topic 
I had a guest on where we were talking about the differential between ADHD and autism and, you know, how sometimes we can misattribute symptoms to one diagnosis where it could be both going on or it could just be not accurate. A child might get diagnosed as autistic when they're really little. We're not assessing giftedness in a two-year-old where they might be advanced in some areas, but I think usually we're waiting for the brain to further develop before we're classifying as 2E. So I think this definitely points an argument that even if you have a diagnosis or vice versa, your child's been diagnosed as gifted, if it feels like more is going on to follow your gut as a parent and pursue additional evaluations. Mm -hmm. And you're so right. You touched on something so important is that oftentimes what's bigger or what's louder is what gets noticed. And then it's true. Educators and professionals can lead with that diagnosis. And then other things that are more nuanced or in the background get missed. Yeah. And I'm thinking of two therapy patients that I have right now. They both would be considered 2E. What's really interesting, actually, is they both had a really late autism diagnosis. But it's interesting, too, to think about how it presents. In the male, really, there were some behavioral challenges and emotion dysregulation at school. And so a lot of the giftedness got missed. And then Also, they weren't fully seeing the picture of autism than once they were identifying the giftedness. And then on the opposite hand, I have a girl who everyone knew was so bright and that was identified that then, and she can read for hours upon hours, right? And that's her interest. And that's amazing. And at the same time, some of those challenges weren't being conceptualized as autism. And Mm -hmm. so I just think this is where... I'm a huge proponent of parents really know. And if you feel like something isn't fully being understood or supported, it can be helpful to do another evaluation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, what would be the benefit of going to a psychologist like you, who's going to do this comprehensive testing, identifying this 2E pattern versus going through like a school evaluation. Mm-hmm. Real quick, just a brief interruption, because I want you to know you don't have to navigate this journey alone. If you're in a place where you have concerns about your child's development, you've been on the search for a therapist that provides evidence-informed neurodivergent affirming care, or you're needing more support as a parent, the whole family approach may be a good fit for you. Autism doesn't just impact your child's life, so you deserve care that works for your child and your whole family. Head to the link in the show notes to schedule a complimentary call where we can chat about your unique circumstances. We can help you decide if Dr. Tay concierge clinical care would be a good fit for your family. And if not, we will provide you resources for your next best steps. That's an excellent question. When parents go and get evaluated through the school, they're essentially asking for for the child to be assessed for an IEP or an educational plan through the that public schools offer. These evaluations are different than comprehensive evaluations because the aim of these assessments are to figure out what does that child need to access the curriculum and what do they need to learn in the context of school. There is an eligibility criteria that and a process that the school runs where they're figuring out sort of what criteria does or what sort of grouping or classification does that child fall into so that they can designate those special education services. 
However, this is not a diagnosis. It's not a clinical diagnosis. In contrast, the comprehensive evaluation, the aim is really to identify how that child learns, how their brain is interacting and the brain behavior relationship, and then figuring out is there a neurodevelopmental disorder there? What is the diagnosis providing that diagnostic clarity? And then developing a comprehensive treatment plan that addresses not just what they need in school, but also what they need outside of school, professionally, in the home. So it's much broader in terms of the range and the extent of abilities that it's looking at. And then also much more thorough in terms of the plan that kids can have going forward for their future. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I talk about it on the autism side a lot. I think there's a lot of confusion from parents of what the difference between an educational and a clinical or medical evaluation is. And also just realizing that the way we go about it is so different. But I also loved the point you said above and beyond that piece Mm -hmm. of like really understanding what is that home plan, especially with having that giftedness. How are we making sure that even outside of school that's being supported and really allowed to thrive because I think sometimes it can be just go into the day-to-day of, okay, you go to school, you come home. And it's one way too, in line with neurodiversity, we can really promote strengths as well. Absolutely. So that is an approach that we rely on here in our practice where we're not just identifying the challenges or the needs that the child has, but also what are their strengths and being able to harness those strengths, especially in the case of gifted kids or 2E kids where there are so many strengths, um, being able to use those strengths in a way to really achieve their goals and be able to work smarter and not harder. Um, And your point about... Um, you know, carrying over the treatment plan in the home, you know, having an educational plan is great. And we oftentimes, our assessments work to bolster the IEPs, the educational plans that are at school. Um, But this is only one piece of the pie. And you want to make sure that kids are being, that there's this follow through and that their needs are being met via the professionals that they need to see and strategies and supports that parents can implement at home to really ensure that they're meeting their potential and that they're feeling supported. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go there. Let's dive in a little bit more about supporting 2E kids. What does that look like at school? What does that look like at home? What are common recommendations that you're making? Yeah. Ultimately, when we're talking about the school, our goal is to create an environment at school where they can thrive. And with the right support, Um, these students can really excel and be able to show their unique talents. It becomes tricky because these kids are not typical kids, say, with learning disability or with autism, who where the treatment plan is more straightforward. So in in the case of 2E kids, they need a two-fold approach where they're going to need that advanced enrichment and coursework in areas because of their giftedness, and then also remediations and supports for their developmental challenges. So this is where differentiated instruction becomes really important, going in, approaching the school, whether through an IEP or another way, and advocating for your child and having a tailored, individualized education plan in place for them, where they can receive both the instruction uh, and the enrichment. Yeah. 
that makes sense. And what about in terms of home then? School, I will say once you get a child classified correctly in terms of IEPs, tweaking some of that, I feel like it's a pretty well-oiled machine at that point, but I feel Mm -hmm. like home might be a little bit more of the wild, wild west. So what are you encouraging there in terms of supports? Um, I agree. And I think parents, part of the reason for that, what you mentioned, like it could be chaotic is because parents may not have the the tools or the resources and may not know how to support um, these kids. And so the first thing I always say is for parents to become informed, providing that psychoeducational about 2E through books, through articles, through blogs, mm-hmm. podcasts, <laughs> and learning more about how these kids function. And then we touched on this earlier, but early identification. Some of these things are able to be identified earlier because they are more out there and they're more concerning and they become diagnosed. And other things are more elusive and they can linger in the background, again, because kids can compensate and there's masking and we don't see it. And as you mentioned, Taylor, when parents have some sort of feeling that this doesn't quite fit, this diagnosis doesn't quite fit my child, or this education plan is not really ideal for my child, or they're not seeing the progress that they were expecting their child to make, reach out, consult with a professional about an assessment. And then developing strategies. There are a lot of strategies that parents can implement at home um, based on the areas that child struggles with. So Um, One of the areas that we often provide support um, for parents in is executive functioning. This is something that um, a lot of kids with ADHD struggle with, but also kids with autism, learning differences, struggle with executive functioning. And so helping kids get organized and being able to complete tasks efficiently and manage their emotions, that's all part of executive functioning and the work that's done around that. For kids who are struggling socially and emotionally, for parents to be able to see Seek out that support um, for them, whether it's through counseling or whether it's, you know, practicing mindfulness exercises at home. So that's just yeah. some of the ways that parents can be involved. Absolutely. And one thing that comes to mind for me, and I don't know if there's even research on this, but I will say my clinical experience, I often find these two-e kids are also the ones that tend to mask more because they're able to use maybe, for example, their intellect to find patterns, read the room and all of that. So I also think being really open and talking about masking and sometimes it's interesting. I just had a Actually, I just sent a a patient's mom a voice memo about this of she was like, my daughter isn't talking before or after school. And I was like, is she talking on the weekends? The mom was like, yes. And I was like, okay, this is probably an indicator. She's having to work so hard at school. And so when she comes home, there's less to give than versus the weekend. It's a reset. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's something to be aware of is I think a lot of these 2E kids are masking. or And because of that, then they're having to work harder during their school days. So I think giving space to be themselves, talk about masking so that they know that this could be occurring for them. And I also sometimes talk about reducing demands, right? If they're really spending a lot of energy to get through school, maybe the evenings right after school aren't the time that you're asking them to do a bunch of chores. Yeah, that's something I see with 
a lot of populations, not just 2E, where they are keeping it together for school. Mm -hmm. And it takes so much out of them because they're having to work so much harder than their peers to perform at the same level and it's draining. And then they come home and they're emotionally dysregulated. They're lashing out. They're avoiding schoolwork. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, when I interview, because as part of our assessments, we interview parents and teachers and tutors or providers. And so sometimes you see this, this difference in what the teachers are reporting and then what the parents are reporting. Oh so yeah. That's an important factor is like kids do try to keep it together at school in front of their peers, in front of their teachers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think we're coming to the end, but I'm curious, what are some common myths you hear about 2E or things that parents might hear from other parents or even in pop pop culture that you're like, that's not quite spot on? It's interesting you bring up myths because we are in the information age. So there's so much information out there, but there's also a lot of misinformation out there. So I'm glad Mm -hmm. you bring this up. And one of the myths that a lot of parents have about 2E, about autism, about a lot of other developmental issues is that their kids are going to grow out of it. Oh, this is just a stage. Oh, give them time. And sometimes that's reinforced because kids might have periods where it's it's up and down, where they might be performing better and parents feel relieved and then they go back and regress. And, but the truth of the matter is with autism, with kids with 2E, with a lot of these developmental challenges in generally speaking, these are lifelong conditions and there could be improvement in the future, but they are lifelong challenges. And the sooner that parents are able to intervene, the better the, the outcome in the future. Yeah. One, another thing I hear in the case of kids with 2E is administrators or teachers telling me they can't really be gifted if they have a disability. And that's not true because you, as we talked about earlier, the brain is so vast. There's so much diversity and uniqueness in the way that kids can present. And you absolutely can have a kid with tremendous gifts, but a child that also struggles in some areas. Yeah. And then another thing that I see or hear rather is parents or other adults who know the child sometimes misattributing characteristics that they see and mislabeling that child. Oh, they're just lazy. Oh, they're not trying hard enough. Or especially for kids with ADHD where they're impulsive, they attribute that as they're lazy. They don't want to work hard or they're being defiant, right? And that can be not only just a mischaracterization, but it can really be at that child's detriment to have that label on them because it can become like a reinforcement on that child and then a self-fulfilling prophecy because then they start behaving in those ways that they're being labeled as. Absolutely. Yeah. Labels are really powerful. And so I think being mindful of our words and all of that. And I one, one example that actually like a potential myth that comes to my mind is I think it's easy to, when you think of a 2E kid, like you're thinking of that. And I say this like lovingly, but this really nerdy kid who is sitting and reading all the time. And while it might look like that, it also might not look like that. And I think sometimes too, like when behavioral challenges come up, 
people are like, oh, that's not possible. But sometimes behavioral challenges are an indicator that all their needs aren't being met. A lot of times that's what it's an indicator of. And maybe there's something that they're not being challenged enough. Maybe they're bored in school. And so I just also think this is where testing comes into play, mm-hmm. that it can. there's so many different ways that it can present, not only autism itself, but in particular, the twice exceptional. So that, that came to mind. And Taylor, you touched on something that I want to just quickly um, discuss, and that is the emotional impact of kids that are 2E. Gifted kids and kids that are 2E, oftentimes they experience emotions a lot more intensely than their peers. And they're more prone to anxiety, perfectionism, and sensitivity towards the experiences of others or issues that might be going on in the world, issues of social justice. And so this is something to keep in mind is being able to hold those emotions and incorporate that in the treatment and and when supporting these kids. Also, because they have so many inconsistencies in their abilities, oftentimes it can lead to confusion or frustration. Like, why am I so good at this? But why can't I just do mm-hmm. this simple reading task or writing task? And it can contribute to a lot of feelings of inadequacy, self-doubt, self-esteem issues. And then they risk this feeling of, I don't quite fit in with the gifted crowd or I don't quite fit in with kids with special needs. So like, where am I? Like, where do I fit in? These are all things that we need to consider when we're thinking about how these kids experience their world and making sure to support that and not just, you know, the other areas. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because such a great point is not only how are they perceiving themselves, which can create emotions, but it also, I don't know if you've ventured into this as well, but also some of these like big emotions and the anxiety you're describing is sometimes we'll see autistic kids with a PDA profile, pathological demand avoidance, which isn't an official diagnosis. But I I actually, now that I'm thinking a lot of my kids in my practice who I'm diagnosing with that PDA profile in addition to autism or I'm seeing for therapy, it's interesting to think about the large majority of them also probably fit this 2E profile. So I just, I wanted to say that out loud and I need to have a full podcast episode on the PDA profile and all of that. But I don't know, is that anything you've come across in your work at all? Yeah, I think when the frustration becomes so high and these kids struggle with regulating the frustration, they that's like the next place where they go is I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. And it stems from, again, just lacking that ability to regulate their emotions and their behaviors. And we do see the lag oftentimes as as intellectually advanced as these kids are, they're socially and emotionally, they lag behind and they can actually present as being much younger than their age. And I think that's what a lot of times contributes to just regress, regressing and just saying, okay, I'm, I'm not doing this. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Totally. So. Oh, I love it. Anything else you feel like we haven't covered about to you <laughs> or things you wanted to make sure you got to mention? I want to highlight that these kids have a lot of potential and our priority should be to be able to understand their needs beneath the label and what they need to thrive. 
And I think that can make a huge impact. There are so many success stories of 2E people or people that are believed to be 2E. Albert Einstein, just to give you guys a, a historic example, one of the brightest minds in history, but yet he struggled with reading and was believed to have dyslexia. Steven Spielberg, again, one of the most successful directors of our time, also identified with dyslexia as an adult. So I think this points to just the potential that these individuals can have, but it's up to us to be able to advocate for them and meet them where they're at. Absolutely. I think that's such a perfect end too, because it goes so in line with what neurodiversity says. We have to look Mm -hmm. beyond the label and how do we make sure that kids are getting support where they need, but then we're also making sure we're promoting their strengths, allowing them to thrive and Mm -hmm. really helping them to reach their full potential and have the highest quality of life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So where can people keep learning from you? And then also tell us a little bit about your practice in case anyone's local to you. Yeah. My practice is called My Child Assessment. We are a boutique private practice in Los Angeles, West Los Angeles, and we specialize in comprehensive assessments for children, teens, young adults, for various neurodevelopmental challenges and social and emotional issues. Um, I also have social media accounts where I try to provide resources and education to parents about some of these topics like 2E and other topics. Yeah. So feel free to check it out. Awesome. We will link your practice below as well as your social media links. That way it's super easy for parents to go to the show notes and like I said, keep learning from you. And if they're local to you and want to explore getting a comprehensive evaluation that they can reach out to you. Nicole, thank you so much for being here. I loved this conversation and so glad to be able to create space for this on the podcast because I think it's such an important topic. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Taylor. It was so nice chatting. All right, y'all. That is a wrap for today's episode of Evolve with Dr. Tay. I will see you back next time. Before we wrap up this episode, for real this time, I want to share a couple ways you can get even more value and what your next steps could be. First, join the Evolve Facebook group. We do Q&As about the episodes and so much more. I linked that group, my personal social media pages, and any resources I mentioned in this episode in the show notes. So scroll down now and join me online. When you submit questions on any of my pages, your question could be featured on this podcast. How cool is that? I love being able to speak on topics that feel directly relevant to your life. Your questions truly make a difference in the content we create here. One last thing, do your fellow autism parents a favor. Share this episode on your social media and tag me. Autism currently affects one in 36 families in the United States and many more worldwide. So I'm sure there is a parent in your social media followers that could be served by this podcast. Thank you again for being here. And I'm so grateful we shared this time together. Bye y'all.